Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. One of the things, uh, if you grew up, um, which I think everybody here grew up in America, I don't think we have anybody that's not. One of the things that you know uh, pretty on, what kind of movies do you tend to watch whenever you're a kid? Think about it. Whenever you're a kid, you tend to watch Disney movies, right? Disney, fairy tales, like you grow up and we grow up with these stories. Like, I mean, I remember the most recent one, I think I went to the theaters um, we went to see Frozen 2. I'm a grown man, and I'm there with my grown man dad, and we're sitting in the movie Frozen 2. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing in here, but I'm here. So, I mean, two grown men, and uh, we're sitting there watching it. And the thing about fairy tales, you'll notice pretty – like, they're captivating stories. Like, you, you ever notice that? I mean, you got you got movies like Frozen where you have this ice princess who comes back – and what she does is she she basically comes back and rules over the realm, all that kind of stuff. Then you've got movies like Beauty and the Beast. That was my personal favorite as a kid. You've got like this hideous beast. And you've got this woman that comes along. And she is actually beautiful both on the inside and the out. And what actually happens, they fall in love. And she actually in some ways restores him and brings beauty back into his life. She does it by loving the unlovable. And it's so interesting, whenever I think of, of, of fairy tales, whenever I was reading Micah chapter 4, um, I was thinking about the different kinds um, of ways that many of us will hear Micah 4 today. There's some of you here, maybe, you might think, you, you, you might have been slightly familiar with Christianity, and you would say that Christians are, for the most part, kind of like fairy tale people. In some way, I mean, not like they're, they're little, they prance around with little wings and stuff like that, but they're like overly positive, maybe. Um, maybe sometimes painstakingly so. You maybe get this impression from things like Christian radio, uh, this uninterrupted and maybe unrelenting positivity. And you know what? One of the things, I'm, I'm glad, if you're here today, and that's like your thought of Christian, I'm super glad that you're here today, all right? Because one of the things that you're going to see is that's actually not always the case, and it's kind of a misnomer. And then I thought of other kind of people. And other kind of people, you might have come to know Christ, and you might have walked with him for a long time. But to be honest, if you were truly, truly honest, you would actually view your life as somewhat of a dumpster fire. Like, it would be an absolute, like, you don't see the light of day. You're, you you do not understand. You're like, David, I, I, I believe that God is good, but wow, I'm, I'm not even that old, but it feels like I have lived a long and painful life. All right? You might never even express these kind of things out loud, but maybe when you're by yourself, these are the kind of thoughts that you have. And what I want to say is I'm, 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 I'm honestly glad that you are here as well. Because I think Micah chapter 4 will be very helpful to you this morning. And then you've got your other ones. Where, for one reason or another, you might have lived a semi-charmed life, or you just might be stinking young, and you don't know much about life at all yet. You know a bit. This might be Lincoln. 
All he knows, he knows how to play Minecraft and he knows how to go to school. And like, so you got joy, like you've got people like Maddie back there. So these, you, you, you're not really sure, well, is Christianity a very, is it, is it like, is it, is it overly positive? Is it not? I, I, I don't really know. So we've kind of got three different people today. But one of the things that I'm going to argue today is that Christianity in many ways, it, it has in some ways a blend of both. It is both realistic about where we are, but it's also extremely and overwhelmingly hopeful about where we will be one day. So let's start here. Let's hit Micah chapter 4 again. What we're going to do is we're going to start verses 1 through 4. Micah 4, 1 through 4. And here's what it says. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. To the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways. And that we might walk in his paths. For out of Zion go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears and pruning hooks. The nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. Maybe you are not familiar. You read that and you're like, David, I have no idea what I'm reading. All right. If that's you this morning, first of all, I want to say you are not alone. This is one of the probably most neglected parts of the Bible. Okay. This is again, what we call, we call this the prophets. Here's one of the things that's going to help you today. What the prophets do is they like to take things already mentioned or already referenced in the Bible. Okay, and then what they like to do is they like to give it a little twist here. I'll give you an example. So I'll give you one that's really famous. You know, I mention it every year. Hallmark movies. Some of you guys, you watch Hallmark movies. All right. Here's one of the things you'll notice about Hallmark movies. They, for the most part, have the same plot. Okay. Some of you would be like, no, they don't. What are you talking about? That's mildly offensive to me. No, all of them start like this. All right. There, there's a girl and she's lonely and then she meets this guy and then what happens next you guys you guys know how this goes right then uh, there's a misunderstanding and then what happens after that it looks bleak it looks bad but you know it's going to work out because it goes back like this all right you know the story what if the people at hallmark just for one time said you know what we're gonna mess with the storyline we'll start off in love resolve seem like they're falling in love again, and then they break up. You probably have lots of six-year-old white women in cardiac arrest if they did that, like on the couch. But here's what they do. A lot of times, what you want to do, if you're a good storyteller, what you want to do is you want to tell certain things that leaves your audience expecting one thing, and then right at the second, right at the last second, you pull the carpet out from underneath them. Here's what I mean. Take a look at verse 2 again. Or actually, yeah, we'll start at verse 1. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord. Let me ask you, what are the mountains do you know in the Old Testament? If you're familiar, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, what's like the most popular mountain that you see in the Old Testament? Exodus. Think, think, think. What is it? Sinai. All right. So for those of you who maybe not super well, like you, you don't know that. So 
God actually comes to the people of Israel. He gives them the law on Mount Sinai. Let's see what happens on this mountain here. The mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills. And people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we might walk in his path. Let me ask you this. Those who you're familiar with, your Old Testament a little more, how many people could actually go up to Mount Sinai? You remember? One. What would happen if anybody else would go up? They would die. So Micah starts this. And he says, when you, when Messiah comes, here's one of the things you're going to see. You're going to see a mountain again, except this time. How many people can go up? Can one person go up? Actually, all the nations will come up. What, 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 wait, wait, what is, what, what is God doing here? What, what is he doing? One of the things he's beginning to show these people, these people that he's written to, are in the worst time of their life. They have just, imagine kind of getting your house foreclosed on, all right? Essentially, that's kind of what's happened to them, except way worse. Not only have they been foreclosed on, they've actually been kicked out of their own country. They come into the worst time of their life, and this is what they're hearing. And they hear judgment. They see that God has actually moved them into another. And here's what he says. He comes, and he says, yes, you've been judged, but here's what I'm also about to do. I'm about to give you a little hope. And he says this, there's going to come a day where all the nations, they will come and they will come up to me. And here's the thing, they will want to come up to me. Now, you might not think that's a big deal. Maybe you grew up um, around, like, you, you weren't really religious growing up. And what you did is when you saw religious people... What you saw is that people who are just kind of like, maybe they're weak people who are just kind of of using God to maybe like get what they want or something like that in life. So they look like people who, who, who come to church and what this is is just, this is just some big bartering system. They'll come to church gathering and do these good things and hoping that God will actually give them what they want. And you know what? Some religious people that you'll actually run into, that's what it's like. But here's one of the things that we see. Christianity is way different than this because here's the thing. Every, every, most religious people in this world, what they do is they use God to get something else. They use God to get what they really want. And here one of the things that you see is when people go up on this mountain, this day that God is actually anticipating, here's what he says. People will come up, not so that God can give them something, but because God will actually be there with them. That as Christians, one of the things that we actually proclaim is that we don't serve God because he gives us stuff, but we serve God because he is the greatest pleasure in this universe. He is the greatest pleasure in this universe. Yes, he created stuff. Yes, that stuff is good. But ultimately, why do we serve God at the end of the day? We serve God because one, he's worth, but two, because he is of greatest pleasure in the universe. So what he announces is that there's going to be this day where God actually comes and makes his people whole. And they don't serve him just so they can get things, just so they can get the good life. They serve him because they deeply and passionately love him. But notice what Micah does. 
He doesn't just leave it there. He's telling about this day where God will somehow make the earth new. He will make us new. Let's take a look real fast at some of the things he actually says that will happen. All right. Let's take a look at one of them. So verse three, he shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. You're like, what in the world is that about? What is a plowshare? What's a, what's a pruning hook? Here's what he's saying. So I'll give you an example. So uh, one of my friends, he uh, he spent some time in a, not a maximum security prison, but not a minimal security prison. If there's a, such a thing, it was somewhere in the middle. And I was talking about it and he was telling me about how he didn't get, get out early. And the reason he didn't get out of jail early is because they would constantly find, he called them shanks, he would, they, they, he would find, they would find knives on him that he custom built. And one of the officers talked to him one time and he's like, why do you keep doing this? And he's like, you don't understand. I would rather be caught with this than be caught without it. And here's what he meant. He meant the reason he had that weapon is because if the other guys in the jail knew that he did not have that, he would have been in real, 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 real trouble. What the author of Isaiah is doing, he lists these two swords. Why do people have weapons in this world? Why do they have them? They have them to protect themselves, but what's the other reason? Because if people know you have weapons, let me ask you, whose guy do you, who, who, which guy do you think a, a thief is going to break in a house? A guy who has a massive arsenal of things or someone who has nothing? A thief would most likely break into the one with nothing. Here's what Mike is saying. Mike is saying there's going to come a day where what God is doing in this world, people will actually not even need their weapons anymore. Why? Because there will be no more strife between nations. And not just that. Notice what he said at the first. Look at what he says in verse 3. He shall judge between many peoples. I was reflecting back this week. And so much... I think of the pain and the agony that comes in my life actually comes through strife. So those of you who might be married in this room, you might be particularly like aware of this. Like sometimes, like even with your spouse, you have like, like you would think after like years, like, man, we, we would communicate great, but it's almost like this black hole of communication. And you sit there and you wonder what is happening. Like, like I am communicating things and they don't seem to be understanding it. And he's communicating things or she's communicating things. And I'm not like, what is going on here? And one of the things that we see, one of the great hopes that we see is that Micah says there will be a day. Where that will end. There will be a day where that will end. Where the strife, the relational strife, that the bitterness that you have towards blank or someone has towards you, or the broken relation, like that, those days, they're coming to an end. They're coming to an end. But not only that, look at verse 4. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them 
afraid, not as there only a removal of war and strife, but here's the other thing. There's also a removal of fear. And you might be like, David, like, what, what, what do you mean by that? Let me maybe explain. Everything, if you think about it in your life, it kind of revolves in the same stage. We hope, we gain, we fear, we lose. We hope we get something. All right? You hope it. Like, maybe for you, that's like a husband someday. Maybe for you, that's like a wife someday. Maybe for you, that's children one day. Maybe for you, that's riches. We hope, we hope we get something. The second stage, we get it. As soon as you get it, think about it. What happens? You begin to worry. Why do you worry? Because now what's going to happen? You might lose it. We hope, we gain, we worry, and ultimately we lose it. That this is, if you take a look at all the things that you would consider good in your life, this is how it works. This is how it always works. We hope we gain it, and immediately when we gain it, all of a sudden now worry now comes over us that we might lose it. But did you notice what God said? But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For you who are like, maybe you're, you're a little nerdy, you should go home today and you should search every time vine and fig are put together. This is what we call, uh, a colloquialism. Anytime you read this in the Old Testament, here's what it's saying. This is the Bible's way. This is the Old Testament's way of almost saying the closest thing I think we have to it in English is happily ever after. Like the good life. That God says that there's going to be a day where every man, they sit under their fig tree, they sit under their vine, a.k.a. they will have the good life. They will have the good life. They will have what, what they've always and deepestly, in some ways, that they didn't know that they longed for, but they will have what they, in many ways, what their heart always longed for. The God, one of the things that he's doing, he's not just saying, oh, don't, like, don't, like, I'm going to make the world new today. Just chill. He's saying, no, no, what it's going to do in you is you will finally have the greatest pleasure and the greatest longing that you never knew you ever wanted, but you will have it. That in some ways, one of the things that the Bible is saying is that in some sense, there is a happily ever after. But here's the thing. This is where Disney movies will throw you off. Where does Disney movies place? I love Disney movies. They're fine. Where does it place happily ever after? In this life. And God says, no, 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 no. You've got the right, you, you, you've got the right inclination, but your timeline's off. He says, no, there's a day coming. There is a day coming. You might hear this. I think in many ways, just like I did this week, and you might, okay, you might be like, David, that's great. How does this really help? Because I'll be honest, like, like, I feel like a mess with my kids. I feel like I'm dying from singleness. I feel like I, like, like, whatever that, how, you might be thinking that this morning. You might be thinking, David, that, that's great that's, that Micah, promises this like what what hope do i really have i mean because that i'll be honest that that sounds and almost feels a little bit of wishful thinking 
And when I, when I thought that, I looked back up at the top of the first verse. And one of the things it says, it shall come to pass in the latter days. And I'm like, that's so interesting. That fundamentally, whoever God is, he is a God who has a plan. He has a plan, and he's actually bringing about that plan. And here's why this helps, because I think many times, the way that I feel, and I think many of us, the way that we feel, we look at our lives and we feel, wait, God is not like doing something. The stagnancy is what gets you. You're like, I don't see things moving. I don't see things. And here's one of the things that I would say, what Micah is telling, that God is a God who indeed has a plan. He's not just walking around aimlessly, not seeing your life. I don't know if you ever saw the movie, The Fugitive. Um, it's a Harrison Ford movie, but it's a movie that, uh, it's about a guy who, who he, he's framed for the murder of his wife. Um, and in all framings, one of the things that always happens is all the evidence seems to point against a person because someone's trying to basically get them accused of a crime so that they'll go to jail, right? All, like, all the evidence might look, now here's the thing, let's just pretend that happened to you, or that happened maybe to your, someone that you know, your brother, or maybe your wife, or your husband. They might be accused of a crime. But here's the thing, you know they didn't do it. How do you know that they didn't do it? Because you know them. Even when all this evidence that you can see, might seem like, no, this guy is a bad guy, you know. You're like, no, I know that they wouldn't do it. I know that the evidence might look like this, but all I need to find is the evidence that's not seen yet. And then what I'll do is I'll prove that they're actually innocent. The reason I say this is because in many ways, in the midst of our long lives, one of the things your heart will be tempted to do, it will be tempted to frame God. You will see pain, agony, hurt and here's what you here, here's what here's what we do sometimes we start saying no okay we start saying okay does god even really care all right is jesus does jesus christ really who he's and what happens is all the evidence you can see around you points to this saying you know what i don't know if he does i don't know if he does And friend, Micah chapter 4 verse 1 reminds us that God indeed is a God who has a plan. He's actually moving in history. And here's the thing. While some of the evidence might suggest that, let me tell you this, my friend, you don't have all the evidence yet. You just wait. You just wait. Wait for the day that he will finally lift you up. That day is coming. Hold on, my friend. Hold on, brother. Hold on, sister. That day is coming. But who is this day for? Did you notice verse 5? For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. But, notice, ah, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God. Forever and ever. You might be like, David, what does that mean, like, to, to walk in the name of the Lord our God? Here, here, I, I'll give you, here, I'll give you what it doesn't mean. Alright, I'll give you an example. Here's what, it, here's what that doesn't mean. Um, maybe if you are homeschooled in here, 
All right. I'm going to give you an example in your life because I think many people are prone to this. I think many times, I'm not saying every homeschooler is, but I've noticed this more in homeschoolers than, than those who are not. So you might be tempted to think of, let's say, God's word and walking with God like you think of mathematics, like you think of addition. Let me say, so you study, let's say you study addition, all right, as a kid or something like that. You learn to add, or maybe you learn Spanish one, or if you're Jacob, Arabic one, which is absolutely blows my mind. All right, so you learn it. Let me ask you, do you ever go back again and learn addition again after you've learned it? No. Why? Because you don't. Do you ever go back and learn Spanish one after you learn it? No. Do you ever go back and learn Arabic one? After, no. Why? Why? Because you know these things. And once you know them, you know them. A walk with God is actually not like that. Because here's one of the things. We're people who are constantly forgetting. We're people who are constantly forgetting. That... He is not like mathematics as much as he is like scuba gear. Have you ever gone scuba diving? All right. Let me ask you, do you leave your tank at the top, breathe in and go dive and go dive underwater? No, you actually take your tank down with you. Why? Because if you don't happen, what will happen? You will die. You will die. That to walk with God, the, the day that this the, that this is for, it's for those who actually walk with Him and trust Him, despite what some of the evidence might suggest. So when Messiah comes, one of the things we see, He's promising to give this world a makeover, a makeover in the way that people relate to one another. A makeover in our satisfaction in him. But that's not it. He also does this. He also, when Messiah comes, here's one of the things he'll do. He's actually going to make up for the pain that all his people experience. Look at verse 6. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away. And those whom I, you notice that? Those whom I have afflicted. And the lame, I will make the remnant. And those who were cast off, a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth. And forevermore. Some of you might have choked on your ham bone, all right, when you read that. Because I think many of us, I, I was one of those people, I grew up like, and I was like, no, like God, he, he doesn't bring like painful stuff. Like, what are you talking about? And then he drops that little bomb right there in verse 6. Those whom I have afflicted, why? So remember, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to a bunch of exiles that they just got kicked out of their land. He's like, yes, I afflicted you with this. But here's the thing. I think he's also talking to those who come after him. 
Why would God afflict his people? Why would God do that? We even see that now. Look at the whole New Testament. God continually afflicts his people. Why would God afflict his people? Why would he bring pain to his people? Um, some of you might have heard me talk about this recently. Um, I was listening to a, a talk recently, and the, and the guy talking, he was talking about a German fairy tale that exists, speaking of fairy tales. And it was about this wicked witch who lived in a forest cottage and travelers would pass by this and what she would do is she would always offer them food and lodging. And what happens is they would they would stay the night but she had this bed. It was not an ordinary bed. It was actually a bed of dark magic. And one of the things it would do is if you woke up in this bed whenever the sun rose, as the sun was rising, you would instantly turn to stone. So many people would come through, many people would come through, many people stone, 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 stone. They'd wake up in the bed, they would turn a stone, she would add them to her collection. She ended up having a slave girl. Um, she was always disheartened by, that she couldn't do anything. And one time she saw a young man came through. And uh, he came to stone the night and she actually couldn't take it anymore. So one of the things she did is as he slept that night, this guy moved around in his bed a lot. What she would do is she would throw, throw little thorns and thistles into the bed. So every time this guy rolled over, he would roll over on one of them and be like, oh my gosh. Like, and this continued all night long. He'd like toss it out of the bed. He just assumed it was coming from the roof or something like that. So he'd, he'd take it out, throw it off the bed, and all right, go back. Like, she'd put more in. Roll over again. Oh! This continued all night long. All night long to the point where this guy couldn't sleep barely anything. About 5 a.m. he gets up. He's like, heck with this place. Like he says, I can't believe this place is so inhospitable. He looks at the servant and he's like, I can't believe you guys are so inhospitable. But you can't, you, like you can't even fix this problem. Like what, what is going on with you? And on his way out the door, the servant girl replied, the uncomfort you received is nothing compared to the infinite harm. A comfortable night's sleep would have been, would have brought upon you. You might have found thorns and thistles in your bed, but those were thorns and thistles of love. And here's what we see. Whenever God puts the thorns and the thistles and the hurts in our lives, here's what he does. He does it out of love. Why? Because here's the thing. If you had nothing wrong with your life, let me ask you. You would look at God. You wouldn't say this. You would look at God and you would say, in many ways, I I mean, what do I need him? What do I need him? If your marriage was so easy and breezy, why would you need him? Here's the thing. You wouldn't say that you wouldn't, but here's the thing. You would functionally live your life like you didn't. The one of God's greatest and strangest love acts towards you and love acts towards me is that he brings affliction to us. That those are thorns and thistles of love. Because if you didn't have those, you would live your life Just tipping your hat to him, and guess what? That would lead you to eternal destruction. And some of you might wonder, why is that? Why is this so difficult? Why is this so difficult? It's not because he hates you. It's because you have a God who is giving you thorns and thistles of love, lest you turn into stone. Again, you might say, David, that, that, that sounds nice and all. I have a hard time that God could use something like so disastrous 
as what I've found in my own life. I, I have a hard time. I have a hard time with that. I mean, I've had several miscarriages, uh, my health, um, maybe for you it's perpetual singleness, uh, whatever it is, maybe a desire for marriage that has gone unfulfilled, the death of a loved one, the inability to have children, and you say, David, I don't quite, you know what, that sounds great, that's a cute little fairy tale, but remember, that's a fairy tale, and this is real life. How can I truly know that God actually can and does bring ultimately good out of this? Whatever evil and however wicked it is, if you were in Christ, how can I know that he truly can? And here's what I would say to you. Remember the time of season that we're in. The God, when he actually came, did he come as someone who was wealthy? Did he come as someone who avoided pain? What did he do? He came and he suffered. Not only did he suffer, he suffered the most atrocious beating and death you could ever deserve. You could ever get. He didn't deserve any of it. He suffered more than probably any other human in the history of the world. And what did God do? God actually showed that he can actually use the worst of, of suffering. The kind that you would never think he could. And he can use it for the good of many. Like, brother, sister, like, that is our God. That we sit there in some way, like thinking, mm, I, I I, I know he works for the good. Like I read Romans 8, but ah, and I would say, friend, Micah is giving us good news here. It's a day where God will one day, you have wounds, he will one day bind them up. He will one day bind them up. You have wounds that you don't even know about yet. It's going to be when God brings the right people along in your life that you're like, oh my gosh. And he'll bind those up too. That God is a healer of his people and that Jesus Christ is living proof that he can take your suffering. The worst things, the thistles and thorns of your life. And he can redeem them. And one day... Bring about unexpected good from them that you would never expect. In many ways, here's I think what I'm asking today. Maybe for those of you who you've you've grown up, you're you're you've gone through life. And you've, you've had this picture of God as almost like this, like this cosmic guy in the sky who's just kind of, kind of, kind of doing stuff. Like that, that, it's time for you to enter a relationship with that God. Like to, to you, that, here's what that means for you. That means turning from you being the boss of your life. The Bible is worth this repenting, like turn and actually saying, no, I was wrong. And I will walk with him because I believe that he truly is not a God who's a fairy tale. But in some ways, the God who all the fairy tales somehow point to. 
these deep longings that we have that everything would work out, the good news that could be for you, that could be true for you one day. If you repent of your sins and walk with Jesus Christ. But if you do not, my friend, there is no you 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 have no guarantee things are going to work out. Actually, we see a guarantee that they will not. For those of you who maybe walked with him now for a while, and maybe you're a little jaded, maybe you're a little, what I'm doing today is I'm inviting you to trust again. I'm inviting you to hope again. I'm inviting you to look at the thorns and thistles of your life as thorns and thistles of love of God's grace is uncomfortable and as as painful as they are. And that they, in many ways, what they do is they're functioning as God's graces in your life, not God's punishment. It's a great text. And the lame I will make a remnant, and those who were cast off a strong nation, the Lord will reign over them from this time forth and forevermore. Wow. We see here that this is no fairy tale. But like I said, in some ways, it's what all fairy tales point to. But we have a God who actually will make it right one day. You will never be able to lose the things that you love anymore. And he will make it right. He will make it more than right. That right there is a good God. All right, there's a good God. That's way different than the gods of the nations. That's way God in many ways. That's way different than the God I grew up with. Who just like cared about me coming to Sundays and like giving money and stuff. Now this God brings a mountain getaway. That's what he does. Every man under his vine and under his fig tree. As the band comes up, we're God's going to get ready to respond to this to this God, this God who has not just provided this, but He actually. Here's the thing: like, uh, if you want if you want a mountain getaway, getaway, you got to pay for that junk. Like this God actually purchased it for us. He purchased it through His own blood. He purchased it through His own life. So guys, that's our invitation this morning. That's my invitation to you. To hope again, even when it seems like it's hopeless. To trust again, even when it seems like you you look at him. That, that your, your heart, just like mine does this sometimes, it frames God. All the evidence looks like he doesn't care. All the evidence looks, y'all, he's been framed. Because the evidence that you see is not all the evidence. Let me pray, guys. And we'll respond in song. Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultrie.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.